Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is Episode 7 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today addresses the Ukraine-Russia OFAC sanctions program. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Our podcast is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke. I've been working with Bureau Van Dyke for several years. BVD helps businesses address the challenge of collecting beneficial ownership information for due diligence investigations. BVD is producing a live webinar on October 26th at 11 a.m., channeling big data through RegTech. Now is the time to future-proof your due diligence program. The webinar will address the challenge of reducing reliance on manual processes and integrating technology into internal due diligence processes. I encourage you to register for this live webinar to gain advice and insights from the panel and practitioners alike to tackle this difficult issue. Also, I encourage you to learn more about BVD's product and ways BVD can eliminate reliance on such manual processes and overcome the challenges faced to integrate technology into your internal due diligence processes. Go to bvdinfo.com to register for its free webinar. In this episode, I'm going to review OFAC's Russia sanctions and the compliance challenges for global companies conducting business in Russia. Compliance with the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, regulations creates a number of risks for global companies. OFAC, remember, is an enforcement agency, not a regulatory agency, and it has significant civil enforcement powers. Over the last 15 years, I've witnessed OFAC increase its enforcement efforts and coordinate closely with the U.S. Department of Justice's National Security Division, which is responsible for criminal enforcement of embargoes, sanctions, and related laws. The the Ukraine-Russia sanctions program was implemented originally in 2014 in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the takeover of Crimea. The Obama administration issued a series of executive orders, 13660, 13661, 13662, and 13685, and implementing regulations that are in Title 31 of the Code of Federal Regulations, Part 589, just for anyone who wants to go look them up. The Russia sanctions program basically falls into three broad categories. One, blocking sanctions against individuals and entities that are listed in the four separate executive orders and individuals and entities listed in OFAC's specially designated nationals list or SDN list. The second part The second category are the sectoral sanctions against entities operating in sectors of the Russian economy identified in Executive Order 13685 and the sectoral sanctions identifications list, which is SSI list. And the third part of the overall program is an investment ban and prohibition on export and imports involving goods, services, and technology in the Crimea region. So let's start to break some of these down in each of the categories. All First off, in the first category, all U.S. persons are prohibited 
in any transaction with an entity or individual listed on OFAC's SDN list, SDN, Specially Designated Nationals. This prohibition includes not only the specific identified individual or entity, but extends to the property or interests that the prohibited entity or individual or combination of prohibited entities or individuals may have in another entity that equals or exceeds 50% ownership. This is called the 50% rule. It's important because what is listed on the SDN list is not the full extent of the prohibition. The prohibition goes even further to any other entities that are owned 50% or more by one or more prohibited persons or entities. Second, the sectoral sanctions or SS list uh, imposed on specific persons and entities operating in the Russian economy are implemented through a series of four specific directives issued by OFAC. These directives, again, apply to all of the individuals and entities that are listed on the SSI list, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but the 50% rule also applies as well. So it's not just the entities and persons that are listed in the sectoral, the SSI list, but it also includes any combination or any entity that is owned directly or indirectly or in combination by prohibited persons or entities equal to 50% or more ownership. Now, unlike the SDN list, the SSI list does not block the transactions that fall within the specific four directives, which we're going to go through, but they require compliance with the specified directions and limitations that are included in each of those directives, and we'll discuss each of those in a moment. The the Ukraine-Russia sanctions regime was modified in August 2017 by enactment of a new law countering America's adversaries through Sanctions Act. This new law, which was passed in response to concerns that the Trump administration would relax the Ukraine-Russia sanctions program, goes further and expands the sectoral sanctions or the SSI lists against Russian banks and oil and gas companies and creates new secondary sanctions that apply to non-U.S. persons who conduct certain transactions with Russia. OFAC has begun to implement the law in compliance with the congressional directions, but is still in the process of implementing all of the required regulations. Going back to the Act now, it codifies all the existing executive orders relating to the Russia sanction program and sets out an elaborate congressional procedure to review any proposed changes in existing Russia sanctions. Under the new procedures, the administration must submit a proposed change to Congress, and Congress can act to reject the change. The act also directs OFAC to expand existing Russia sectoral sanctions. Specifically, the act requires OFAC to revise Directives 1 and 2 of the Sectoral Sanctions Program to prohibit U.S. persons' involvement in new financing for designated Russian banks and oil and gas companies. The Act expands coverage to a new financing regime of 14 days or more, and it reduces it from 30 days for banks, and 60 days or more from 90 days for oil and gas companies. 
And we're going to talk about, and the two important terms to remember are the definitions of debt and equity in terms of the SSI directives. The term debt, for example, includes bonds, loans, extensions of credit, loan guarantees, letters of credit, drafts, bankers' acceptances, discount notes, or bills, or commercial paper. The term equity includes stocks, share issuances, depository receipts, or any other evidence of title or ownership. On September 29, 2017, OFAC issued the new regulations applying to Directives 1 and 2 of the Sectoral Sanctions Program. The impact of these changes is likely to be significant. The prohibition, for example, applies to payment terms of any invoice for goods or services, depending upon whether it involves a bank, which would be Directive 1, or an oil and gas company, which would be Directive 2. As a result, going forward, companies may have to receive payment for goods or services within 14 or 60 days, respectively, from certain banks and oil and gas companies. In other words, a invoice can be, and if the payment terms are set up to pay, receive payment in a certain time period, that can be construed as credit or that can be construed as finance or debt. The prohibition also applies to financing arrangements involving letters of credit, guarantees, and other forms of financial support. Careful compliance efforts apply in this area, and any transactions with designated entities on the SSI list should be carefully reviewed before execution. For example, I represent a client that has an ongoing relationship with a designated SSI entity and is required to secure a revised letter of credit every 30 days from the entity guaranteeing financing for certain operations. So now let's talk a little bit more about the directives. Directive 1 prohibits transactions by U.S. persons and anybody within the United States territory for new debt or equity issued on or after November 28, 2017, involving the provision of or financing for or other dealings in new debt of longer than 14 days maturity or new equity of persons determined to be subject to this directive. Okay, So you have to look at this again. It applies to financing for or other dealings in new debt of longer than 14 days maturity. And again, Directive 1 generally applies to a specified list of Russian banks and financial institutions. Different time periods or restrictions apply to transactions that occurred before November 28, 2017. Directive 2 generally applies to listed Russian oil and gas companies. And as amended now, it prohibits any of the following transactions by U.S. persons and within the United States that transact in or provide financing for or otherwise deal in new debt issued on or after November 28, 2017, involving the provision of financing for or other dealings in new debt of longer than 60 days maturity. That's down from 90 days. So 60 days is your trigger point. Again, if you have invoices involving an oil and gas company in Russia, that's going to uh, impose on you certain restrictions on the ability to extend credit for payment or to have a time period within which payment can be made. 
Again, a different time frame applies to transactions that occurred before November 28, 2017. Directive 3 generally, and has not been amended yet, uh, generally applies to Russian manufacturers of defense materials and prohibits financing or new debt transactions uh, that are longer than 30 days maturity. So again, you have to deal your transactions have to be structured in 30 days or less. Now, the Act also directs OFAC to expand Directive 4, which uh, also relates to the oil and gas industry and bars U.S. persons from providing goods, technology, and non-financial services for exploration and production by certain targeted Russian oil and gas companies involved in Russian deep water, Arctic offshore, and shale and gas operations. OFAC is required, but has not done so yet, to expand Directive 4 to cover all deep water, Arctic offshore, and shale oil and gas fields anywhere in the world now, beyond offshore Russia under current law, applicable to any company in which a prohibited Russian company has an ownership interest of 33% or more. So that means any Russian designated company that has an ownership interest in a oil and gas drilling or production uh, operation where the ownership interest is 33% or more. Let's go to the third category, which I mentioned, which is the Crimea prohibition, which prohibits all new investment in the Crimea region of uh, Ukraine by a U.S. person wherever located. The importation into the United States directly or indirectly of any goods or services or technology from the Crimea region of, Ukra of the Ukraine is prohibited. The exportation, re-exportation, sale, or supply directly or indirectly from the United States or by a U.S. person wherever located of any goods, services, or technology to the Crimea region. The, the prohibition also extends to any approval, financing, facilitation, or guarantee by a U.S. person wherever located of a transaction by a foreign person where the transaction by that foreign person would be prohibited if performed by a U.S. person or within the United States. If you deal with a third-party distributor and that distributor in turn deals with the Crimea region, that would, that would be prohibited under this, your interactions with the third-party distributor because of the facilitation prohibition. Finally, as I mentioned earlier, the Act also creates new secondary sanctions authorizing OFAC to penalize non-U.S. persons engaged in certain sensitive activities, even if the company has no connection to the United States. Now, OFAC has also authorized general licenses, which means regulations authorizing certain transactions involving exportation or re-exportation of certain agricultural commodities, medicine, medical supplies, and replacement parts from the United States or by a U.S. person wherever located to the Crimea region of the Ukraine. If you deal in medical devices or you deal in pharmaceuticals, we have to examine the general license regulations to determine to make sure that you fall within that before you, you engage in a transaction involving such article. Again, please take care in reviewing any proposed transaction involving Russian entities or individuals. Remember to check on your third parties 
distributors, and others with whom you conduct business to make sure that your products and services do not involve or end up in the hands of Russian persons or entities so that you can ensure compliance with these complex set of ever-changing sanctions regulations. The Volkov Law Group, of course, we are ready to assist you in case you have any needs in this area, and please feel free to contact us to discuss any issues you may encounter. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.